the highlights of our forum, uh, one of the keynote interventions at the New York uh, Maritime Forum. Our forum has the double mission of, on one hand, discussing the latest developments in the global maritime markets, and on the other hand, to promote the profile of New York as a global maritime hub. Uh, New York and the maritime activities encompass a very large uh, economy. Of course, in the center of it, we have the port. Uh, the port is one of the busiest in the US and one of the busiest in the world with all global companies uh, participating in the supply chain, trading through New York. And of course, you have capital raising, you have legal service and, and a lot more. So we are delighted and honored to have with us uh, Rick Cotton, who is the CEO of the New York and New Jersey Port Authority. Uh, the, uh, the, the New York, New Jersey Port Authority has been uh, with this conference every year. So I'd like to thank uh, Rick for uh, his support and also for his uh, intervention. And without any more delay, I will turn it over to, to him to deliver us um, his presentation. They've done tremendous work in the uh, infrastructure for, uh, for New York. And uh, we look forward to uh, your remarks. And thank you. Um, Nicholas, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to join, uh, even if this event is a virtual one this year. Um, um, obviously set in very extraordinary circumstances. Uh, what I'd like to do uh, very briefly is set the uh, uh, discussion of the Port of New York and New Jersey in the context of the Port Authority's broad portfolio. So let me just do that very quickly. Uh, so this is actually our new logo, uh, airports. We have five airports, the three major airports, JFK, LaGuardia, Newark. We also run Teterboro and Stewart uh, in upstate New York. Uh, our land uh, reference is uh, to several facilities. We have uh, three Hudson River crossings, a bridge and two tunnels. We have three bridges that run from Staten Island uh, in New York to New Jersey. We have uh, our bus terminal in Midtown Manhattan and we have a bus station in um, uh, just across the George Washington Bridge. And certainly uh, last but not least, we operate the 16 acre World Trade Center site, which has three uh, 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 new office towers, uh, almost all of them virtually fully leased. Uh, we also obviously have the memorial and museum, and we have under construction a performing arts center and St. Nicholas Church. Uh, our rail asset is uh, the PATH commuter railroad, and obviously we have the seaport. So that is our quite broad portfolio. Um, and uh, now turning to the next uh, we try to operate all of these uh, according to a set of priorities and standards uh, right at the center of uh, our priorities. I won't read all of them, but we are highly focused on safety on a major capital plan to move from subpar infrastructure. Our airports have been uh, not close to what they should have been. Our bus terminal needs to be refurbished. We are committed to that. We put customer experience and operational excellence, sustainability at the top of our agenda, as well as uh, being highly focused on our, on our employees and 
set out on the slide is also our standards in terms of how we do things, integrity, diversity, global best practice, 21st century technology, collaboration, and speed. Speed is something that government agencies are not usually good at, but we really try to have our focus on getting things done. So turning from uh, the broad focus on the Port Authority, I want to focus on the Port of New York, our maritime facilities. I'm going to touch on three three aspects which are on the screen. Let me move and recall um, the pre-COVID uh, times. I know it, it, it feels like a decade or more ago, but it's been seven months. But our, our 2019 was truly extraordinary at the Port of New York and New Jersey. It, was, it, set, it set a record. Uh, every month was higher uh, than the equivalent month in the year before. And if you look back on it on a five-year uh, time frame, uh, we've had a 30% increase in terms of cargo coming into the port. Um, moving to the next slide, uh, what, uh, what has driven or the result of that uh, is that in fact, in terms of the US, we become the second busiest container port in the US, surpassing uh, Long Beach, California, which has been a neck and neck common, uh, competition for over two decades. So what has driven that? Uh, four factors, uh, dredging, uh, raising the Bayonne Bridge, terminal upgrades and expanded rail capacity. And let me touch briefly on each of them. Uh, resulting in, by, the, by 2016, a virtual 10 to 15 year, both planning and implementation project, working with the US Army Corps of Engineers, uh, resulted in the deepening of our key navigational channels to 15 feet. 15 meters uh, uh, as, uh, as, a, as an operating depth. Uh, we had a particular challenge in terms of what was an iconic in terms of architecture bridge, the Bayonne Bridge, which was 151 foot clearance, but way below what was needed for the coming generation in big ships. And in a three to four year sprint, the agency raised the roadway preserved the arch, but raised the roadway to 215 feet. Uh, in addition, our term, working with our terminal operators, they made significant uh, investments, both already to date and planned, uh, more than $10 billion in order to uh, invest in larger ship-to-shore cranes and a whole variety of new terminal technology. Uh, in addition, uh, the port engineered uh, more than a billion dollars of investment in four ship to rail freight transfer facilities, what we called our express rail facilities. So those completed in the last year and a half, and they now have a capacity for one and a half million rail lifts per year. And those are designed, which I'll say a little bit more about in a minute, for expanded and enhanced intermodal access to the Midwest, to New England, and to Eastern Canada. So the result of these investments uh, really has opened the port of New York and New Jersey to the big ship business, and we've had a big focus on that. And let me turn to some specifics. Uh, in, the, in parallel with, the, uh, with our investments, of course, uh, they have married up with what many of you are uh, far more familiar with than I am, but are, is really a transformation in terms of big ships 
new vessel technology, obviously the canal upgrades, both Panama and Suez, and the economies of scale, which have driven uh, the shipping business to the big ships. If we look specifically at the port of New York and New Jersey, uh, this has been a very important dynamic in terms of our uh, capability, our car cargo handling capabilities. In 2019, 76% of the big ships that are called on East Coast port made New York and New Jersey their first port of call. If you look at ultra-large container vessels coming into our port, there were 34 in 2016, 271 in 2019, and more than 300 in, uh, we're expecting more than 300 by the end of 2020 in terms of this, this year. Another dynamic here, if you look at it as the percent of all vessel calls coming into the New York and New Jersey ports, 2016, one and a half percent of the vessel calls were ultra large vessels. And this year to date, 2020, we're at 14.6% and we expect that percentage to go up as the year progresses. Now, if we look now in terms of the percentage of cargo, that obviously as we've increased the percentage of vessels that are the ultra are the ultra large ships, the percentage of cargo carried into the New York and New Jersey port on the ultra large vessels continues to grow and we expect it to hit more than 50% in three to five years. And you can see that this year we're already at approximately a third of our volume coming in on the ultra large vessels. Now, the key here it, from, our, from a competitive port point of view is that New York and New Jersey is the favored first port of call on the East Coast. And that is for the obvious reason that the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area is the largest single market on the East Coast. But as those ultra large vessels make it their first port of call, they also improve our competitive position vis-a-vis -vis cargo that is headed for the middle of the country. When the ultra large calls on New York and New Jersey, it takes two or three days to unload or exchange its, uh, its containers. By virtue of that fact, cargo shippers who bring their cargo into New York and New Jersey on an ultra large vessel, it can be transferred to our intermodal capabilities in terms of the investments we've made in the express rail network. And the fact is that the container is on the, uh, on the railroad headed for the uh, headed for the Midwest and potentially arriving at its destination before the ultra-large vessel even arrives at its second or third U.S. port of call. And that competitive dynamic we expect to continue into the future. We had the honor of receiving the largest ship to ever call on our port just a few weeks ago, the CMA CGM Brazil, 15,000 TEUs, and we expect the size of the ships and the volume that they bring into the port to increase on an annual basis. Now let me talk just for a moment in terms of the impact that COVID-19 has had 
both broadly on the port authority and specifically on the, on the port. So all port authority facilities have remained open and operating throughout the, uh, the COVID-19 crisis. We're very proud of that, a lot of effort. Uh, we've gone to great lengths to protect the uh, health and safety of our employees during that period and to keep the, our facilities operating. Next slide. But here's the impact in terms of our activity volumes. You can see the airports and our commuter railroad at the depth of the crisis were 98 and 95% down in terms of volume. Bridges and tunnels were down 62%. The seaport was down 17%. And I'll say a bit more about that in a middle, minute. Now the airports have only recovered, if you can call it that, to being 80% down, stunning decline. Our path railroad is still down 79%. Bridges and tunnels have recovered. Uh, to a significant extent, but still 11% down. But here's the story with respect to the seaport, which is while it was down 17%, by August, it is now, it was 1.3% above the prior August 2019, which itself was a record August. So we actually set a record at the seaport this past, this past August. In terms of financial impact, these declines have had a stunning impact on the Port Authority. We're down this year alone, and obviously the year's not over, more than a billion dollars in lost revenues. We project over a 24-month period, we'll be down $3 billion. And the enormous challenge for us is that it dramatically reduces uh, our capital capacity in terms of our capital construction plan. What you see in terms of the port itself is how resilient the port and the supply lines have, have remained. Uh, I've essentially summarized that, but you can see that they never dropped more than 16% on a year-over-year uh, -year basis, and we've now recovered to where essentially we're at the same volumes we were pre-COVID, pre and this has been the result of a strong cooperative effort between the the port itself, its terminal operators, and labor, all of which have, whom have worked hand in glove. So from our point of view, the port's resilience has positioned it to look forward and plan for future growth. And let me just say a few words about that. Here is the path forward. The port department just completed a 30-year master plan it's a flexible roadmap, which is intended to enable the port to accommodate cargo volumes, which we project will double in the next 30 years at a minimum. Our focus in terms of the master plan has been to engage stakeholders, get, uh, be sure that we have taken account of all opportunities for growth. We're focused on a safe, resilient, and environmentally sustainable operation, what we I have prioritized, obviously, is continuing to serve as an economic engine for the region. And from a self-interested point of view, we believe it will strengthen enormously the competitive position and the commercial value proposition of the Port of New York and New Jersey. The 30-year capital plan laid out uh, two phases. Phase one with a 10 to 15-year time horizon, heavily focused on improving the infrastructure. Uh, of the port itself, berths and wharfs, continuing to enhance our rail and intermodal capabilities, terminal densification, and again, with a huge focus on climate resiliency. Uh, 
in terms of phase two, it continues the focus on planning for future growth that will require container terminal expansion, even additional rail and intermodal improvements, and again, continuing our focus on climate resiliency. So with that, uh, I will come to my conclusion, which is the Port Authority overall, and the Port Department in particular, is committed to working with our Port partners to ensure that the Port continues to grow, continues to thrive, and continues to enjoy its premier and take advantage of its premier competitive position on the East Coast of the United States. So with that, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, lay out at a treetop level the Port Authority and the Port Department. And Nick, I will uh, return the, the floor to you. Rick, uh, thank you very much for a very thorough and uh, extremely interesting presentation, uh, spot on. And congratulations for all the hard work uh, you all have been doing. We have one question coming from Ken Huckster. He is an analyst from Bank of America, Mary Lynch. And Ken is asking, um, there's a trend now for having larger ships bigger than the 15,000 TUs. Um, so how do you see um, those bigger ships being able to be accommodated? Uh, because you raised the, the bridge up to accommodate 15,000, I think. So does that put a limit in terms of the future growth of the port? No, the, uh, well, let me just be clear. The, the current height of the bridge will accommodate um, ships that are up to 21,000 uh, TEUs. The 15,000 TEU ship was simply the largest ship that has, that has called to date, and we expect to continue to see the, uh, the growth of, uh, of larger ships. And the judgment that was made at the time the, uh, the bridge was raised was that uh, being able to accommodate uh, 21,000 and maybe a bit more uh, size ship would continue to serve the, uh, the port well. Uh, we may need to take a look at that, but uh, the, uh, we, we still have a, a, uh, the ability to, uh, to handle the growth of, of the, uh, the coming generation of ships, as I say, up to 21,000 TEUs. And Ken has one more question before we adjourn. He says, how do you take share from the West Coast and uh, where do you see the inventories in the system right now? Um, I'm not sure I fully understand the question, but in terms of uh, what we're seeing, uh, we're certainly seeing a, uh, a bit of a shift um, at the moment, at least, with the, uh, the volumes on the West Coast declining uh, to some extent, and uh, at least our volume continuing to increase. Again, that's pre-COVID, and we would expect our, uh, our volumes to continue to increase, and we think that uh, by virtue of the uh, ultra-large uh, dynamics that I, that I laid out, uh, that in terms of accessing the middle of the country, uh, the Port of New York and New Jersey will continue to have a competitive advantage, certainly against other East Coast ports and even vis-a-vis -vis, uh, some of the West Coast ports. I would think that Ken probably meant with the Panama Canal being bigger now, that may accommodate more traffic coming directly to New York as opposed to going to uh, the West Coast and... Yes, yes, that, that, that's exactly what we expect. Terrific. Well, I think, uh, let me see, uh, Ken is thanking you for, uh, for your uh, replies. And I would like to thank you as well for being with us today and making an excellent presentation. Um, and I hope we'll have the chance to have you again with us next year.
Uh, thank you very much, Nick, and uh, wish you a very successful event. Thank you so much. Okay, thank, thank you. you.